We will begin this week then with clearly one of the most popular teachers out there today, Joel Osteen. I've titled this study of Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Repurposing the Bible. Repurposing the Bible. Give you a little bio on Joel Osteen. He was 54 years old, uh, son of John Osteen, who was a Southern Baptist preacher who founded the Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, after receiving, quote, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, end quote, without getting into that error. Uh, Joel graduated from Humble High School in Humble, Texas, <laughs> and briefly attended Oral Roberts University, where he studied radio and television communications. He never graduated the university, never attended any seminary or divinity school. I'll put the caveat out there that that's not entirely necessary, by the way, for a preacher to do. Uh, there are those that are just gifted by God for such things. Um, C.J. Mahaney is a good example, I think. There are others. In 1982, Joel began producing his father's weekly televised sermons until January 1999. His father often encouraged Joel to preach, and he finally did preach his first sermon January 17, 1999. His father died six days later. Uh, Joel was installed as the new senior pastor in October of that year, 1999. His wife is the co-pastor of the church. 2003, Lakewood Church acquired the former home of the Houston Rockets, known as the Compact Center where they carried on a 15-month renovation project the cost of $105 million, in addition to raising the level of the building five levels to accommodate <coughs> a much bigger audience. Uh, weekly attendance at the church is about 43,000 people every single week. Joel Osteen has authored seven New York Times bestsellers, including, of course, Your Best Life Now, which I think most of us probably know him for. Subtitle, Seven Steps to Living at Your Full Potential, October 2004. He has done interviews with Oprah. He has been a guest at the White House. He has had, obviously, the celebrities and the fame and the fortune attending his church. Uh, his net worth is estimated between 40 and $60 million. He lives in a 17,000-square-foot mansion valued at about $10.5 million. He has two children. And so that is, and a terrific smile, <laughs> and a handsome guy, a beautiful wife. <clears throat> um, his teaching. At the beginning of each service at Lakewood Church, before he preaches, Joel Osteen has the entire congregation stand up and hold their Bibles high over their heads and repeat the following. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I will never be the same. Who couldn't amen that? Anybody could amen that, right? Sounds tremendous. <coughs> but as my title infers... We can best describe Joel Osteen as repurposing the Bible. Joel Osteen repurposes all the good sounding stuff that you just heard. All those things that we just heard, I would say he repurposes it. So in his sermons, in his interviews, and of course in his best selling books, all of this is an exercise in repurposing the Bible. Now if you don't know what repurposing is, Webster's describes it as to give a new purpose or used to. To change something so that it can be used for a different purpose. There are, is an entire cottage industry on cable television of shows committed to the art of repurposing antique or old and used items. There's any number of shows, both American and British, that focus on here. Sometimes repurposing results in similar use to its original function. For example, old light bulbs might be repurposed into new oil lamps, as I saw, kind of a nifty little thing <coughs> online. Repurposing, though, most often results in a completely new function, right? Unrelated to its original purpose. So an old ladder is turned into a new bookshelf, 
Ladies, you might want to take some notes on this stuff. <laughs> an old bathtub. An old bathtub is turned into a couch. Okay? Uh, an old wooden pallet is turned into a massive wall clock. You'll see that featured prominently in my home, where we have lots of repurposed things. I mean, who knew that an old toilet plunger could make such an interesting candy dish for us Sunday night smuggling? <laughs> no, no, it didn't. <laughs> that would be repurposing in the extreme. So Joel Osteen is an example of repurposing the Bible. So we need to know what the Bible's original purpose is, right? The Bible's original purpose is to communicate the nature of God, the nature of man, the fallen human condition that ruins man and results in spiritual death and separation from God, and the love of God which makes known in mercy, grace, and yes, even wrath in the incarnate God-man, Jesus Christ, who in his life, death, and resurrection accomplished reconciliation between God and elect humanity so that the human could fulfill its true God-ordained destiny of loving and worshiping the triune God and serving our neighbor. That is the purpose of the Bible. We could probably add to that. <coughs> Perhaps to make it even briefer, uh, I don't think we could detract from it, but at the very least, we can say that about it. But Joel Osteen has repurposed the Bible into the means of achieving a supposed God-ordained destiny of blessing. Blessings of prosperity, Blessings of bodily health. The conquest of sin is the conquest of that which prevents humans from enjoying their best life now. That's the reason for dealing with sin on any particular level. It's so that you can enjoy your best life now. And again, this is repurposed. There is a certain level of truth that when dealing with sin, we certainly can have our best life now. <clears throat> we all want our best life now. But upon studying his writings and his thought, you see what that means. This is true in so much of this is true in so much of Christendom also, by the way. People use terms and ways that we might think have one understanding and they think have another understanding, so we're agreeing on a term to which we have different understandings. So we have to make sure that we have an understanding, even when we talk about Jesus Christ. Okay? Joel Osteen believes Mormons are Christian, for example. He would say, well, they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe he was crucified. They believe he was risen from the dead. Of course, he also believe, they also believe he's the spirit brother of Lucifer. <coughs> so everything having to do with God and man is repurposed in Joel Osteen's world. And many of the things the Bible focuses on, Joel focuses on, but with a different purpose and function. So sin is not primarily and ultimately offense against God, Sin is that which keeps you from your destiny of health and wealth and blessing. Faith is not that deep level of trust which clings to the gospel in the person of the gospel by beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus and being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Rather, faith is the way to access the blessings. Okay? I want to begin by taking a look at one of his books... Uh, I did not read Your Best Life Now because so many people have read it and commented on it. I didn't want to just be another person. So I <coughs> excuse me, took a look at a book that he wrote in 2015 called Fresh Start, The New You Begins Today. Um, the principles, though, I think are probably going to be the same throughout all of his writings. You're going to find these things that he embraces showing up everywhere in all of his writings, as well as his sermons, as we'll see. Uh, it's, it's kind of a manual to blessing, I guess. Okay? It, it, the table of contents looks like many self-help books. Okay? So I think what, I, what I'm going to do is just take... He has eight keys in here that he talks about. And uh, I just want to... I'll tell you what they are, and I'll elaborate on just a few of them. And again... These, these, this is part one of his book, Keys to Staying Connected with God. Well, that sounds like something I want to read. Right? That sounds like something you would want to read. Keys to Staying Connected with God. But when you keep in mind, being connected with God has in, in purpose, its purpose is to have the blessings. You're going to follow the, follow the paperwork to see where it leads. 
So key number one, be on the lookout for God's goodness. It's something we could all do. Be on the lookout for God's goodness. We have to do that every day. I don't have any problem with that. I won't get into where he gets in that, but I thought this was most interesting. The second key, keep God first place in your life. Mm-hmm. Brother Joel, right? He says, and I quote from his book, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Notice the key. Seek first the kingdom. In other words, don't seek the blessing. Seek the blesser. Right with him. Don't be consumed by things. Don't chase after money, fame, fortune, bigger this, bigger that. Chase after God. If you will seek the blesser, he promises all these other things will be added unto you. Not a few things, all these things. God is a God of abundance. When you keep him first place, you won't be able to contain all the good things he will bring across your path. Instead of chasing blessings, blessings will chase you. What a hard right he takes, huh? He starts out so good. He starts out like my golf swing. <laughs> Not only do I have great looking form when I swing a golf club, but I do. I've tell had people God. tell you, you've got great form. You ought, you ought to see it, Jonathan. You, it. you would amen it. Sure. So that thing goes straight for about 30 yards, and then it hooks so hard to the right and ends up so far in the woods. This is what we have with Joel Osteen, okay? The third step. And by the way, you'll see this hap- This is a recurring theme with him where he takes Scripture. And whereas you can identify its initial purpose, you also see how it's been completely repurposed. Step number three, or key number three, release negative experiences. Won't get into detail on that, but that's a lot easier said than done. Uh, key number four, think yourself to victory. Number five, protect your vision. <laughs> number six. Number six. Use the power of I am. Anytime in Christendom we see the words I am, we ought to immediately evoke in us a sense of reverence and awe. Now, there's nothing in Scripture that would forbid us from using this in some other context, but I think just as a matter of course, we ought to be very reserved in our use of the words I am for meaning anything other than I am, right? And you know, perhaps you don't know, but in Scripture, God refers to himself as I am. That's sort of the name of God. You see it sort of dramatized in the Ten Commandments, you know. I am. Tell them I am essential, okay? <clears throat> so it should have a far more respected place. Uh, I believe Joel Osteen even has a book uh, called I Am. Okay? So how does he use this? Uh, using the power of I Am. Um, Uh, Joel Osteen on Mark 11.23. First of all, a little context to chapter 11. Jesus triumphantly enters the city in fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah riding on the foal, right? The donkey, the foal, the donkey. Jesus cursed the fig tree representing fruitless Israel. Jesus cleanses the temple in fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. Then the fig tree is seen with it the next day much to Peter's shock. This is the context of Mark chapter 11. So then Jesus says, beginning in verse 22, (coughs) and Jesus answered, saying to them, and this is after Peter said, Rabbi, check out the fig tree. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and you will be granted them. (coughs) So, Jesus is the new temple by which men approach God in faith. Okay, the temple era with its sacrifices was ending because sort of the little preview is over and the main character to the big story is bringing the fullness. The context here in Mark chapter 11 is profoundly Christological. And the saying to have faith that moves mountains is faith which 
as Christ as its object. Contextually to understand what's going on. To overcoming any other obstacle because Jesus overcomes death. This is the context that we're driving at as Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Osteen says, Jesus said in Mark 11.23, you will have whatever you say. That works in the positive or the negative. By faith, you've got to say, I am blessed. I am successful. I am surrounded by God's favor. And indeed, we are surrounded by God's favor. But since Joel Osteen has repurposed the Bible, so too has he repurposed the words most familiar to us. Faith, trust, hope, all of the, all of the phraseology that we use, he has repurposed. Words that have a different original purpose consistent with the overall big picture of the Bible. But again, big, big, big different picture. And then you get uh, different details. Uh, uh, key number eight to his book there in that particular book is be selective about what you feed yourself. Amen to that? Don't feed on trash. Be disciplined in what you watch and listen to. Make the decision to get rid of everything that's not building you up and helping you grow. If you will be selective in what you feed yourself, you will grow. Experience more of God's favor. And I believe and declare you become everything God created you to be. Just like that. Okay? It's not just for animation. He does a fair amount of shucking and jiving when he's preaching. Right? So again, there that golf ball goes nice and straight for about 20, 30 yards and then it takes a hard right for the woods. If you're a slicer, it goes the other way. And then the eighth in his keys was deal with anything that prevents your best. So that's how that particular book breaks out, the first part of it. In that book, he also mentions a thing called epigenetics. This is where you get... You have to at the very least stay where you're... You've got to keep yourself grounded. You've got to stay where at least you think you're doing well. When you start sort of repeating science without giving a lot of context... You can do dangerous things. So epigenetics. Joel Osteen claims that science has determined that the genes passed down to us are not always activated. This is common scientific knowledge. This is axiomatic. Not every gene is going to do what it looks like it might do. Make a decision to get rid of everything that's not building you up. I'm sorry. So if you're dealing with depression, okay, we can choose which genes to activate or deactivate. So if you're dealing with depression... And again, many mental illnesses have a genetic component. If you're dealing with depression, you can simply decide to turn off the depressed gene. Why don't you turn off that negative gene? Turn off the alcoholic gene. Turn off the self-pity gene. This is a new day. Part of a preacher or a pastor's function is to shepherd the flock. Telling people to shut off or deactivate a gene. Again, by the power of spoken word, because that's so much of what they believe in. Uh, first of all, it makes a mockery of science. A mental illness is a biological and a psychological condition. Even if you <laughs> toss out much of pop psychology, it's beyond argument that mental illness has a biological and a genetic component. Science one-on-one. And sometimes requires medicines, among other things. Using this method, he said, can even break generational cursing and start generational blessing. Generational curses is unbiblical. We don't have time to explore that. This whole idea of generational curses this is um, something that has a biblical basis if you're willing to distort the scripture in its context and what it's saying. Okay? There are no genetic uh, sorry, there are no generational curses. The way that it's used so much in this particular word, faith, prosperity, movement. And again, the goal of all this is man-centered blessing. And imagine the sense of personal shame and failure and guilt of people who just can't turn off these genes. What are people to think who never aspire to the blessings Osteen speaks of, despite lives that line up with his teaching? Right? More of that in a moment. Another section in that same book, Daily Positive Confessions. Quote, use, the, use these positive confessions to speak out loud every morning to get your mind and mouth in agreement with God and program for victory. Okay? And then he lists a number of things that he recommends people memorize. Okay? Not scripture, 
Just things like, I am blessed. I am this. Okay, it says, I am blessed. I am forgiven and redeemed. I am free. Free from sickness, poverty, lack, and every kind of bondage or stronghold. Positively confess that every day. Line up your mind with the mind of God. I am free. Free from sickness, poverty, lack, and every kind of bondage or stronghold. What do we see in Scripture? Paul is often cold, sick, tired, homeless, shipwrecked, mercilessly beaten. Paul knew how to be content in lack and in abundance. Paul had anxieties about many things. After, had, after Paul had been stoned, he went to the city from which the men had stoned him, Lystra, and strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. How did he encourage them? By daily positive confession? Perhaps Paul should have said, I am warm. I am clothed. I am not in prison. No, he strengthened the saints by reminding them that, quote, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The scripture says that literally. He strengthened them, strengthened them by reminding them. He let them know that suffering and pain and difficulty were entirely consistent with meaningful Christian pilgrimage. Paul says in another place, it has been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for Christ's sake. Jesus said to his disciples in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Joel Osteen's world, any of these tribulations are just a matter of persevering till you can get through them to the blessing. Joel Osteen repurposes the Bible by first repurposing the grand narrative of God's sovereign rule of the universe and our place in that process, and then by repurposing all the themes within that narrative. Blessing, faith, growth. They all mean different things. The bathtub is a couch. The pallet is a clock. Okay? Uh, the ladder is a bookshelf. The plunger is a candy The plunger is a candy <laughs> <laughs> But the book makes no mention of the cross. Not once in this book. But mention, the word destiny is mentioned 14 times at least. Okay, your destiny. But the cross is the destiny to which so much of the Bible leads us. And then to resurrection. And then in the end of all things, we will have the freedom from all things we suffer with. So, to the extent that Joel Osteen focuses on these things, I think we could say that he has an over-realized eschatology. In other words, the future glory that we are looking forward to, he would have in the here and now. But, it's not quite that simple. The future glory is defined differently. So whether it's here or there, okay, I'm not looking nearly as forward uh, to the sort of streets of gold as I am to walk in them with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so even though it seems like it doesn't seem like he does and people of his thought do this they see everything as supposedly that is eschatologically planned for us that is future in the new heaven and new earth with us here and now but of course we won't need to speak against sickness and health we won't have to have positive confession every day in the new heaven and the new earth we won't have to do any of the things that he says you need to do now uh, take a look at a few of his sermons and again if you watch Joel Osteen in the sermons he's a delight to watch he's a great speaker he memorizes most of what he's saying I don't know he walks by this little glass pulpit a few times so maybe he glances I didn't see any of those uh, things that you know like the teleprompters yeah thank you I didn't see any teleprompters there or anything um and he's very engaging with the audience. I think he starts out every sermon with a joke. He just, I guess, to loosen people up. I don't, you know. But he looks great. You know, he's got some fine clothes. Funny guy. He's got a great sense of humor. I mean, Joel Osteen is a very likable guy. He's a very likable guy. Uh, you don't look at him and necessarily see Huckster. You know, you don't look at... You can see other televangelists. They got, you know, these big gaudy showy rings on their fingers and all this stuff. And it doesn't seem to be his focus. He preached a sermon titled 
surrounded by the Most High God. And in it, he had a great quote. He said, remember that the problems that surround you are surrounded by the Most High God. The problems that surround you are surrounded by the Most High God. I said, that's a very excellent point. But of course, again, the goal is completely different and the way he uses Scripture to make his point is, once again, a repurposing of the great stories we've come to sort of know and love and have our faith built up upon. So, in that sermon, he talks a little bit about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I don't know. He doesn't start his sermons out, at least when you see him on YouTube. You don't know what the textual basis of the sermon is. You kind of guess it. He goes topically, uh, which isn't terrible in and of itself, um, but not, not as a steady diet. But So he starts talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, we know these three young men were taken captive to Babylon, and they refused to bow down to the 90-foot idol that was made by Nebuchadnezzar, of Nebuchadnezzar, and insisted that they would only worship the true God, even if that meant that they had to die. Okay? So it, it is sort of ironic. <laughs> it's kind of ironic that this is a thing about idolatry. Um, but, like many people, Osteen uses us to teach that, quote, Jesus shows up in the midst of our problems. Okay? He goes on to say that we need to keep persevering because soon that fourth man will show up. He makes a point. Remember, he says there was a fourth man in the furnace. You know, and who was that fourth man? It was, you know, many say it was the Lord Jesus Christ. But he takes that and he turns it into that fourth man has not shown up yet in your problem, but that fourth man is going to show up. You just got to persevere till the fourth man shows up, right? Who's Jesus Christ? Now, <laughs> according to Hebrews chapter 11, by Joel Osteen's definition, the fourth man didn't show up in the lives who were, quote, tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. The fourth man didn't show up for, quote, others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. The fourth man didn't show up for those who were, quote, stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. The fourth man didn't show up for those who went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Joel Osteen cannot account for this in his theology. There is no accounting for that. Okay? And what you have to be able to do if you subject yourself to whether it's his sermons or anybody's sermons that you're listening to is, does this sermon, how does this fit in first of all with the overall picture of Scripture? Does this chapter belong in this book, so to speak? Another sermon called Don't Give the Devil a Place. He quotes in the sermon things like Don't give away your power. Don't give away your joy. As you grow in character, God releases more blessings. As you grow in character, God releases more blessings. So what is the purpose, then, of character development in Christ? Blessing. Okay? The purpose of us growing in Christ is not supposed to be that we would get blessings. I mean, what, what, what greater blessing is there than being conformed to the image of Christ anyway? God wishes above all things that we prosper and be in health. And so he does what so many in the prosperity gospel do. He quotes 3 John verse 2. 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be good in health, just as your soul prospers. Okay? Now, who doesn't want one another to be doing well in bodily health, right? Hey, Todd, hope you get the flu next week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, who doesn't want that, okay? So, what is he saying here, right? What is John saying here? So, it's just a, it's a cordial, nice thing. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want you to be... Well, these people turn this into like a prayer for the things that they're talking about. But further, he takes it still and says, because it says, I want you to, excuse me, I want your body to prosper, even as your soul does, he makes, he makes one sort of causative of the other. So as your soul prospers, then your body will prosper too. Now, again, there might be some sense of that, right? Jesus said when he kept quiet, silent about his sins, you know, he was a mess inside. So there is, a, there is something relatable to this in a sense. But again, Joel Osteen repurposes this so that the focus of blessing of material wealth and health can be obtained. <coughs> what Joel Osteen does not address is how do we grow? 
Okay? He seems to indicate we have the power to do this with no reference at all to the cross and the power of a resurrected life with which to glorify God. Because his goal in preaching is never the glory of God. Okay? You know, Romans... And we need to ask this, well, how, how do I grow in... Romans 6 addresses our union with Christ in his death so that sin no longer has dominion over us. The Scripture can accurately say, reckon yourself dead to sin. Why? Because we're united to Christ who was victorious over sin and death. So we can meditate on that. We can dwell on that. We can think about that. That's a different thing altogether than just this approach that Joel Osteen takes. And the fruit of all this is not all kinds of blessings a la Joel Osteen, but rather the simple joy of being servants of righteousness and the fruit of which leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life, Romans 6.21. Another sermon called Healed Through Humility. He uses Peter's experience of a great catch of fish to teach that Peter was healed through his humility. You know the story. Peter's fishing all night, doesn't catch a thing. Jesus comes along and says, Cast your net on the other side. All right, Lord, we've been fishing all night, but you think you know everything. All right. So they throw the net out, and they get a massive catch of fish. And so Joel Osteen says, It was only when Peter humbled himself and was willing to listen to Jesus that he got the blessing. Is that what that text is about? <laughs> That experience was an acknowledgement that Peter was sinful and in no way deserving of one so great being so gracious. When he saw all the fish, Peter got weak need, and his voice probably trembled and he said, Depart, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Just a realization that this preacher, this prophet who had all this power over the natural world. And the reward wasn't that Peter would be a great commercial fisherman. The reward was, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Mm. You'll leave all this. So, you must know Scripture so that you can know when it's being repurposed. He shared the story of a man in this sermon who for 30 years didn't speak to his father because they had a fight. He lived in a small apartment. Never got out of the small apartment. Never got the promotion he sought for 10 years. But, once he humbled himself and asked forgiveness, he soon got that promotion and his son got a full scholarship to college. He then points to 2 Kings chapter 5, the story about Naaman. It says, lesson that he was healed only through his humility. And he says, Joel Osteen says, on the way to your miracle, there'll be plenty of opportunities for pride to talk you out of it. And he talked about all the things that happened in Naaman's life that he could have kept himself away from the miracle of being healed of his leprosy. You know, he had to take the advice of a little girl when he was a great warrior you know, he had to go all the way to Israel instead of them coming to him. He had to dip himself in the water instead of there being a big celebration. And so Joel Osteen repurposes that story, repackages it, to say, if we will learn humility, we'll get the blessing. Is that what the story is about? No. The reason for God's dealing with Naaman is found in the 15th verse, where Naaman says, Behold, I know, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And then Jesus brings up Naaman and her, his first public preaching opportunity. He says, there were a lot of people who left for in, 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 in Syria. Only Naaman was healed. And the people freaked out, right? Because he recognized who the true God is. Recall that Naaman had to dip seven times in the water. Well, Joel Osteen encourages people to hang in there with humility because you may be on your sixth dip. And the seventh is coming. So how long is that dip supposed to be? While people are drowning in their difficulties, right? How does one minister to another who is living such a life in the blessing a la Osteen? They can never overcome this. Always a sense of shame. Guilt. Even this can produce... Can you see what this would produce? A form of legalism. All of these things Joel Osteen teaches really are not much different than the hopeless attempts man makes at following God's law thinking he can earn righteousness but never quite getting there. When God exalts those who humble themselves it's a process of learning that God is God. And that realization is our exaltation. But there's no, nothing better for us to be persuaded then than that God is God and we are not. And that if I never receive a single material blessing, I have God and God has me and that's everything. Now, yeah, that might be harder to live than it is to say, but it's true nonetheless. Finally, a, a, a quick look at his interviews to find out a little bit about his theology and his anthropology. And Oprah... And Oprah says, how would you explain God to an unbeliever? I would explain God as the creator, a heavenly father, 
of someone who wants to be in relationship with you just as someone who is for you as a friend. Scripture tells us that friendship with the world, though, is hostility towards God. God does not call such a person friend. God is not a loving father to the whole world. If he was, then the language of adoption would be unnecessary. God is not the father of everybody in the same way. Okay? All we need to know is that Scripture talks about adoption. And if Scripture talks about adoption, why would I need to be, why would I need to be adopted if I'm already, God's already my heavenly father? Okay, here's the big question, she says. Are there many paths to get to the one God? Osteen responded, Well, I believe, Oprah, that there... I believe that Jesus is the way to the one God. But, but there are many paths to Jesus. You know, you don't know how Jesus would reveal himself to somebody. Well, the only way to know Jesus accurately is through the Scripture. And even if it's the case, if it is true that Jesus has been recorded, has appeared in dreams and visions to Muslims, it's still consistent with the message of Scripture. So as long as it doesn't contradict that, if you tell me you had a vision of Jesus and you never read Scripture before and you said that Jesus basically told you everything that I see in Scripture is the Gospel, I would say, He's, this person's been with Jesus. Okay, with Larry King, regarding Jews, Muslims, and other non-Christians, Larry King asks, they're wrong, aren't they? Joel Osteen replied, well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong, but I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. Spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. And I don't know. I've seen their sincerity. So, so I don't know. I know for me and for what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, come on. Right? I mean, I know what it's like to be put in a tough spot. <clears throat> Michael Horton says, for him, Joel Osteen, the good news is that on Judgment Day, God will look at our heart. According to Scripture, that's actually the bad news. The good news is that for all who are in Christ, God looks on the heart, life, death, and resurrection of His Son and declares us righteous in Him. What a difference, you see? Talking with Soledad O'Brien. She says, you're known for these uplifting services. And I always wonder when you say homosexuality is a sin and there's a bunch of people who clearly are gay who are in your church, you're, you're calling them sinners. O'Brien said, I mean, that's, that's, that's the opposite of uplifting, I would think. Osteen responded with some discussion about the fact that God doesn't categorize sin and that he, you know, Joel Osteen doesn't focus on that particular sin and that one of the reasons for his success is that he, quote, stays in his lane. Uh, he was pressed further, of course, by a panel that for all its pretense about tolerance are truly God-haters who do not want to interfere, who don't want interference in their life choices from anyone. And they demand others bow to their theology of sexuality even while condemning others for doing the same. In their own way, they're calling him a sinner. So, Joel Osteen has on many occasions called homosexuality sin, but he has failed to give the whole counsel of God. Rather than soft sell his response in an attempt not to offend as a supposed preacher of God's word, he should hold out the promise of the gospel. That, like all sin, Jesus came to bear that sin in his own body on the tree so that we can live for righteousness and live for God and no longer for ourselves. So, let me just conclude a little bit here. <coughs> we can have some dialogue. Joel Osteen does not present the God of Scripture and he does not present the Gospel. Interestingly, at the end of each sermon, he invites people to a prayer of salvation. And this is the prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of all my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and wash me clean. I make you my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and making me part of the family of God. Help me to follow you all my days. In Jesus' name, amen. He goes on to write in his book, If you prayed that simple prayer, the Bible says you were born again. That just means you have a brand new life in Christ. You're no longer separated from God and sin. Jesus paid the price for all your sins, past, present, and future, so you could be in the family of God. The Bible also says you're a new creation in Christ. You may not feel any different at first, but as you continue walking with Christ, you'll gradually become more like Him. Amen. But there's nothing wrong with that, so to speak, except that this whole idea, if you just sort of pray a prayer, you're born again. But, as good as it sounds, would that He would go spend time going through the Scripture, working through the daily implications of the Gospel, 
Sadly, like all of the scripture, the gospel has been repurposed by Joel Osteen and his followers as a means to worldly blessing. So that while the gospel almost accidentally shows up in Joel Osteen's ministry, it's much like the bathtub that's been repurposed into a sofa. People are no longer bathing in it. They're simply impressed with the way it looks and the fact that it gives them a comfortable place to recline as they amen Joel Osteen on their pilgrimage to hell. So, with that, we can open it up to discussion and dialogue. If you have questions, if you have input, if you have experience with his teachings, if you have any questions at all about what I presented, um, Gary. Does he speak in tongues himself and advertise it? Never heard him talk about it, mention it, promote it, or otherwise. What about healings in his services? No healings in his services that I've seen. No. He, he doesn't have that sort of immediate charlatan appearance. Actually, he does have a hotline does he? he can call, and the lady on the other end actually does speak in tongues. All right. <laughs> someone came to a uh, podcast. Did you see that? It's the uh, age three. I don't know what purpose that could possibly serve, calling up and getting someone answering the phone in tongues. <laughs> yeah. so I figured figure I got the wrong number. Oh, did you? Whole, uh-huh. I, I came from this world, like the whole faith movement, charismatic chaos, and all that stuff. And I mean, you did a great job, you know, presenting this. I mean, my blood was boiling the whole time you were talking because I was under teaching like that. You know, you you speak these things into existence, right? Like mm-hmm. I had my own computer store, and I'd be praying over computers. You're going to be sold in the name of Jesus today. <laughs> you know, like seriously, like mm-hmm. you know, every morning I go into my store, and pray over everything. You're going to be sold. You pray over everything. You know, you're going to do that. You start commanding things because you're told, hey, if you do X, Y, Z, God's got to obey it because th- this is what the Bible says. And it's like you you touched on it. It's a very legalistic thing. You follow A, B will happen. If B doesn't happen, it's because of X, Y, and Z over here. You need to get this sin out. You don't have enough faith, you know? And it's this whole, it puts all this pressure on you. Thanks. And, 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 that, and it will crush you. And perhaps, I think that's part of a draw of Joel Osteen and others, is people want a formulaic relationship. You know, they, they want to know. I mean, we very much, we very much, as people, to the extent that we're willing to admit it or not, we, we, we cherish control. It's our great problem. We cherish control. It shows up in a million ways in our life. Does he ever mention hell, judgment, the blood of Christ for remission of sins, consequences of disobedience, and not being right with the Holy God? (coughs) Excuse me. The only... I have read somewhere that he believes in hell. Uh... He doesn't like to talk about... He figures enough people go to churches where they hear all this negative stuff. He wants to be lifting people up. That's his goal, is to have uplifting sermons. But again, what is the goal and the purpose? And it doesn't take that long to find out what is the purpose of his preaching, what is the goal of his preaching. He does not mention the blood of Christ. He does not mention, unless it accidentally shows up, like in this book that he has, he has a number of verses that you can, you know, memorize for different things, like a lot of books do. So the blood of Christ might show up there. But I have not seen in his book, in the sermon, or any of the interviews that he did, in any way, because that wouldn't fit, again, sort of the narrative. That would be, you know, so you ask, is he still using the bathtub as a bathtub? Is he still getting in it and turning the water on? No, he's turned it into a sofa. He's sitting on it, writing his next book, you know? So it... He's gotten away from the central passage, I'm sorry, the the meaning of Scripture. And he would have a very difficult time with any kind of a systematic theology. Because uh, prosperity preachers make very poor systematic theologians. Mm -hmm. April. I would just ask them what do they what, what do you what do they think about Joel Osteen's teaching on sin and what what sin is and you know what does Joel Osteen have to say about you know the new covenant mm. what, what does that mean you know just ask them what do you think and I, that's a good question I would ask what do you think Joel Osteen's goal is okay and then I would ask him do you think that what he says sort of is accurate biblically and you know, just let the dialogue flow from there 
So I'm, I, don't, I don't know if there's a silver bullet as much as there is. Find out what the person is getting out of Joel Osteen or what they think they're getting out of him. Let them lead you in sort of how to help them. Uh, Randy? So he doesn't preach repentance and, and believe? No, it doesn't. He doesn't. Although he does have that, you know, again, that prayer of salvation at the end of every service. Yeah. Um, he never talks about repenting and turning away from something other than a means of improving your character so that God can bestow more blessing upon you. Uh, he treats, in a way, it sounds like he sort of treats sin as, you know, something your father's not going to let you take the car if you continue to not put air in the tires and put gas in the tank. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, your dad's going to let you take the car or your mom's going to let you take the car if you take care of the car. Now, there's a certain, there's a certain scriptural teaching that says if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in more. I'm sure that they could distort that to no end all day long, too. But no, I have not, <clears throat> again, here's this book. If you look at, I read, um, I read a couple of very thorough reviews of uh, Your Best Life Now, where he lays out seven principles for living your best life now. And all of them distort, they repurpose the heading to which they address in, in, in the seven different steps. But never do you hear him talk about the glory of God. Never do you hear him talk about the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Never do you hear him talking about the burden of sin being lifted off us. Never do you hear about, uh, you know, like you hear in Hebrews, with, with Christ, uh, Christ being our faithful high priest. You don't hear about him abolishing the works of the devil, you know? Let's talk about the Spirit's power to help us live a redeemed life. Yeah, uh, from that systematic theology uh, comment, uh, um, they don't have the traditional systematic theology, but what they do is they have a predictable theology mm. that they call systematic in relationship to they, they start with a faulty premise and foundation, and then that just keeps going, and you can predict what else they will believe from one statement to mm. another statement to another statement only from the standpoint that you believe you understand where they're coming mm. from yep so uh, I, I found that with Joseph Prince it's, uh, mm. th there were things that the books that I was reading uh, had the statement hadn't been made in the book and I'm saying okay uh, there's that conclusion I look and then oh he's going to believe this and all of a sudden it showed up on the pages and you know so they're predictable in that sense and by the way the, the majority of the false teachers that I've seen they repurpose hmm. regularly sure not just sure. Sure. you could you could uh, April you could ask your friend or person or you could ask anyone read the book of Acts and see if that corresponds to what Joel Osteen teaches hmm. because there's the life of the church there's the life of vibrant Christian community right there's the life of people that are uh, and Joel Osteen will say things like look we get blessings from God so that we can bless others I mean, he says things which line up, right? And that's why it can be potentially dangerous. Very dangerous. You, you had said that about 43,000 people are associated with the church. He's a New York Times bestselling mm -hmm. author. Yes. He's listened to around the world yes. on television in yes. many countries and many languages. Yes. Summarize, if you could, what would be the biggest attraction to the audience of people that either read his book or listen to him what would you say sort of captures the the audience the most? I guess it depends where you are. In America, I think it appeals very much to our sense of Americanism. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, hard work ethic, that kind of thing. It corresponds to that and gives it a level of biblical authority because he uses scripture. Uh, I think that another thing that would appeal very much is, again, a, a formula. In America, we love formulas of how do you get from point A to point B. And so much of what our pilgrimage is, is, you know, kind of things like you see in Hebrews. I think, you know, if, if there's a single greatest draw to what Joel Osteen does is there's no sense at all of conviction. Yeah. There's no challenge. There's no moral challenge. There's no moral authority presented. There's opportunity. And I think the difference between some of his teaching in, in Scripture is moral authority versus you know, acting morally to take advantage of opportunity. So it's opportunism versus authority for sure. Yes, sir? But the way I live is by the best formula that I've heard yet, and that is love thy neighbor. Mm -hmm. And that is the commandment that Jesus gave at mm -hmm. the Supper. Yep. Which, in one way, you can say it serves the Ten Commandments, but in order to love your neighbor, 
Yeah, and the question <laughs> the question always comes down to what is sort of the biblical the biblical definition? What does scripture mean when it says love your neighbor? And how well do we do with it every day? I would I would I would suggest I've probably failed at that a number of times since I got out of bed this morning. Uh, a number of the things that we look to, you know, in doing good, as you said, that could go a number of different directions. What does doing good mean? So we have to have a biblical. Uh, when we, I agree with you, the importance of those things, and we look at those things and say. Okay, how are those things being worked out in my life? Yes, Jesus fulfilled the law. Love fulfills the law. We see that a number of times in Scripture. problem is none of us does that real good. And therefore, we're grateful that God isn't looking at our individual specific performance and using that as the yardstick by whether or not we get judged correctly. I'm sorry, whether we get His stamp of approval so that we get into heaven. You know, Jesus bore our sins in His own body on the tree so that we being dead to sin could live for righteousness. By his stripes we're healed, you know. Each of us, like sheep, had gone astray, but now we've returned to the to the bishop, the overseer of our souls. So <coughs> it is a good, you know, mode to live by is love God first, as he said, and your neighbor as yourself. When when people ask me, you know, if I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. I say I'm a practicing Christian. Mm-hmm. Because to be a Christian I feel means that I have reached perfection. <laughs> well, I think that's an interesting. Uh, we could chase that out a little bit. It's not that we have time to, but I think it's good to emphasize practice. You know what you're living like. Uh, a, a Christian, as I was saying before, words have different meanings in different contexts all over the place. Uh, survey after survey might say 70% of America is Christian. I highly doubt that. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. So. We follow Jesus. A Christian is someone that's been redeemed to God by the blood of Christ. And there's a number of other things that we could say. Um, but Scripture says that the Christians were first called Christians in Antioch. So you can take a little comfort in feeling that you don't have to be perfect to be called a, Christ, a Christian because you are united to the perfect one. You are a, you are a Christ one. You're, you're one of His. But I understand that in Christendom, some, sometimes we, we, we all go... I, I, sometimes I try not to even use the word awesome for anything but God. Okay, now is there anything in Scripture that says I can't do that? No. It's just a word I like to refer to, refer to just God or myself at various times. <laughs> awesome, you know what I mean? Uh, why? Because I like to have a word by which nothing else can be compared, but there's no mandate for it. So I, I think in our this liberty in, in Christ to sort of think in different ways, just as long as we always remember it is His perfections that we live by and that we... Uh, that we will reign with him by. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for your attention. Next week we have uh, Todd. Very right. I think the house. Good, and father's doing better. Father had a stroke. He did. He had a But he's home now. He can't drive for a month. But other than that, nothing permanent. Got to change his diet. He had real high cholesterol, real, real high blood pressure. She helped him out a lot. And it will fall